Hello, my rebels. Today, I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit less sexy than Justin Trudeau running off to another photo op around the world somewhere. It's boring stuff, number stuff, stuff that Trudeau says he doesn't bother his pretty little mind about. I'm talking about the interest rate hike of one full percent, what that's going to do to families just making their rent right now, just making their mortgage right now. How do you make your mortgage plus pay for groceries when they've each gone up by hundreds of dollars a month? I think we're in for tough times. We'll take you through it a bit. Before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. It's just eight bucks a month. You get my weekly show. My sorry, my show every weeknight. So that's twenty of them a month. And we have four weekly shows. So that's actually altogether. That's thirty-six shows a month for eight bucks a month. I think it's content you won't find anywhere else. And the reason we charge eight bucks a month, which is only half the price of Netflix is because we don't take money from the government. So we're, we're honest that way. We're independent. We're never bought off by the state. We're one of the few media that can say that. So we do rely on you. Please consider going to rebelnewsplus.com and clicking subscribe. Frankly, even if you don't watch it, consider doing it. But I would prefer if you watched it because we put our heart into it. And I hope you like it. Here's today's show. Tonight, Tiff Macklem, Trudeau's man at the Bank of Canada, raises interest rates by 1% and tells Canadians to lower their expectations. It's July 15th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That's what Trudeau's World Economic Forum says. And Trudeau is a World Economic Forum man. He loves going over there to feel important. He does that by hanging out with famous globalist celebrities and infamous globalist celebrities, too. That's him here with George Soros and Christia Freeland, whose job before becoming an MP was as Soros' official biographer. I don't think most Canadians know that. Freeland is the only cabinet minister in the world that I'm aware of who's on the board of the World Economic Forum. There are other politicians who are obedient to Klaus Schwab, but none of them are so brazen as to advertise that fact in public and be on the board. And Klaus Schwab brags about it, too. What we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, president of, of Argentina and so on, so that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the world. So are you surprised that the man Trudeau and Freeland trust to make decisions about inflation and interest rates is named Tiff Macklem. <laughs> Who's he? Exactly. No one elected him. He's like Theresa Tam. You didn't vote for her and you can't vote her out. Same thing with Tiff Macklem. He's the head of the Bank of Canada. You can see his signature, including his ridiculous nickname, on your dollar bills. 
guess they don't have bill, dollar bills anymore, but on your other bank notes, what is the job of the Bank of Canada governor? Well, they can control interest rates by determining how much they charge the other banks in Canada to borrow money from the Bank of Canada. So the banks, Royal Bank, Scotia Bank, then they in turn adjust everything from the interest they pay you on your savings account to the mortgage rates they charge you on your house. There really isn't a more important lever on the economy than the interest rate. Low interest rates let people borrow money easily to pay their bills, to start businesses, to buy homes, lease cars. High interest rates do the opposite, obviously. They crush everyone's dreams just a little bit by making all of those things harder to do. Harder to pay bills, harder to start a business, harder to run one, harder to pay a mortgage, harder to lease a car. The reason why TIFF would do that is because, well, he says the economy is too wild. There's too much inflation. The price of everything is too high. But that happened because of TIFF and Macklin. Besides setting interest rates, the other thing the Bank of Canada governor can do is print money. He just can do it. And Tiff Macklem has done that more than any other Bank of Canada governor in history because Trudeau wanted him to. What I mean by that is Trudeau has spent about $900 billion over the past two years, and the pandemic was just his excuse. But to borrow that much money, Trudeau had to get it from somewhere. He borrowed some of it from actual investors, foreign lenders, but most of it just came from the Bank of Canada itself. They printed money and loaned it to the government. Now, that devalued your money that you worked for. That drove inflation. That enabled Trudeau's worst behavior. And that's why we're in the mess we're in. Tiff Macklin let it happen. He's hiking interest rates now on you, telling you to spend less, own less, live less, because he wouldn't tell Trudeau to spend less and borrow less when Trudeau was on his $900 billion spending spree. Trudeau famously said he never thinks about monetary policy like interest rates. I mean, there may be some truth to it. Monetary policy is boring and involves math and reading and economics and history, and Trudeau prefers photo ops and calling people racist. When I think about the biggest, most important economic policy this government, if re-elected, would move forward, You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. Uh, you'll understand that I think about families. When we first got elected in 2015, the very first thing we did was raise taxes on the wealthiest 1% so we could lower them for the middle class. And similarly, uh, a re-elected Liberal government will continue to invest in supports for families, for students, for seniors, uh, uh, investing in housing, because we know it is not right that so many people right here in the Lower Mainland and indeed across the country can't afford their first home. We know these are the policies that make a difference in the growth of our country and the jobs people get and the opportunities uh, people have to grow and prosper. That is what we will stay focused on. I'm not sure if I actually believe him. I, I think he thinks about monetary policy, but only in a way will Tiff Macklem continue to print money to let Trudeau do whatever he wants. Build back better, more climate BS, buy 400 million doses of vaccines, whatever. And Tiff Macklem, like Theresa Tam, like Brenda Lucky of the RCMP, does whatever Trudeau tells him to do. He's even got that Trudeau arrogance down pat. That's an important reason why these 
these international uh, inflationary pressures have broadened in the economy. Uh, and by front-loading our interest rate response, uh, that will cool demand, uh, allow uh, supply time to catch up and take the steam out of those domestic inflationary pressures. And as I just stressed in the previous question, uh, it's critical that we keep inflation expectations well anchored so that when those international pressures ease off, uh, inflation does come back down to target. You know, it was just a month or two ago that someone who really does understand monetary policy and inflation and central banking, Pierre Polyev, criticized Tiff Macklem for getting us into this mess. Frankly, it was probably a bit obscure for most people at the time. We all know who Theresa Tam is. She's the nutcase who told us to wear a mask while having sex. But Tiff Macklem is far from a household name. But Pierre Polyev knew who he was. Knew he was the one flooding the market with fake money, printing, printing, printing money. It really is like counterfeit money in a way. You pour that much printed money into the system, everyone else's money is devalued. Polyev criticized Macklem. Someone should. And oh my God, did the fancy people have a freak out. It was quite something. People who had never given a thought to the Bank of Canada were suddenly experts on why Pierre Polyev shouldn't talk about the Bank of Canada. It was such a sacred position. How dare you? How dare you criticize him? Don't interfere. Hang on. Don't interfere when Trudeau's man is printing hundreds of billions of dollars and pouring it into the economy. What? Why? Is he some high priest or saint or someone we can't criticize? Can I get a list of those people, please? It's obviously Theresa Tam's on it and Tiff Macklem, too. I mean, Macklem said... He had everything under control. I mean, he was smarter than you, right? And he wouldn't lie for his boss, Trudeau, would he? Our message to Canadians is that interest rates are very low and they're going to be there for a long time. Uh, we recognize that uh, Canadians, Canadian businesses are facing an unusual amount of uncertainty. And so we have been unusually clear about the future path for interest rates. If you've got a mortgage, uh, or if you're considering to make a major purchase, or you're a business and you're considering making an investment, you can be confident that interest rates will be low for a long time. Yeah, he's a liar. Either that or he's incompetent. Neither is a good answer. Inflation is a disaster. I showed you the stats the other day in, frankly, the form of Pierre Polyev's grocery video, which was pretty easy to understand. Look at this part again. What can my bag of groceries tell you about inflation or just inflation? Numbers out today, 10% increase in food prices. Let's go through the items and how much they've risen one by one. Eggs. Tomatoes. Lettuce. Pasta. I'm not going to try throwing this one up and down outside of the box. Ground beef. 10% food price inflation in one year alone. Oh, well, too bad. So sad. Tiff Macklem is here to tell you that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Uh, you know, when you look at, when you look around the world, it's, it's clear that, uh, you know, the, the age of, of globalization has certainly stalled and, and, and possibly is moving into reverse. 
that could, you know, that globalization put a lot of downward pressure on global goods prices. Uh, if that if that goes away, uh, there you know, we won't get the, as much downward pressure from global goods prices uh, going forward. Um, you know, there, there are other factors. Uh, clearly, we have to deal with climate change. Uh, that that could ask uh, that could ask, add costs. Uh, we have uh, an aging labor force. Labor markets could become tighter. Um, these things are, are relatively slow moving, and and you know we will see. Um, but the one thing I would stress right now is uh, we have some ability to influence what that future looks like. And the best thing we could do today uh, to make that future better would be to keep inflation expectations well anchored on the target. Because we know that uh, if inflation expectations become unmoored, the economy is not going to work as well, and it's going to be harder to get inflation back down to target. And that's really reflected in uh, the, the step we took today, uh, increasing interest rates by 100 basis points and front-loading our response. An important reason for that is to assure Canadians uh, that we are going to bring inflation back to target uh, and they can be confident in price stability. The funny thing is, when Polyev first started criticizing TIFF a few months ago, even though the entire elite circles the wagon for him, TIFF Macklem himself admitted that, yeah, he sort of screwed up and he ought to be held accountable. Of course, he didn't actually mean it. He didn't resign. He didn't apologize to the Canadian people. He didn't lay out in plain language what he did wrong and why he did it wrong. That would have involved criticizing Trudeau's profligacy. That would have amounted to a victory for the evil Pierre Polyev. So he just said, oh, yeah, I ought to be held accountable. But, of course, that mere utterance was the only accountability he ever faced. Just like when Trudeau was convicted again and again and again, three times again and again, five times, of the Conflict of Interest Act, um, just nothing. That's that's the Canada we live in now. So yeah, we're in this mess, but you'd better get used to it. It's on you, Canadian citizens. Hey, look at this exchange two years ago. Uh, how much uh, of an interest rate hike could uh, the average Canadian household sustain uh, before they would be unable to pay their mortgages or other credit market debt that they hold. I want to stress that uh, our focus is on supporting the recovery. Bank of Canada has lowered interest rates right. uh, to the effective lower bound of 25 basis points. Um, we have uh, embarked uh, on a strategy of large-scale asset purchases, uh, and that has a dual purpose, partly to uh, restore, one purpose is to restore uh, good functioning in uh, our debt markets. Uh, the other purpose is to lower interest rates yeah. and the yield curve. Sorry, and uh, we are, we are very, so go ahead. For now, for now and for the foreseeable future, we're focused on providing the monetary stimulus uh, and delivering low interest rates to support the recovery. And How that is lowering the debt service costs that households face and companies and governments. How many households would become insolvent with a two percentage point increase in interest rates? are extremely hypothetical. We have no intention of raising interest rates uh, in the current circumstance. 
course not. That's why I'm not asking about the current circumstance. I'm asking about the medium term circumstance, sir. You've admitted that if inflation rises unexpectedly, that you would raise interest rates. That was your, those were your words. You said that. Um, and uh, we need to, as Canadian parliamentarians, to know what that would do for to households. Um, how many would become insolvent if you had a 2% increase in interest rates? The biggest risk to Canadians coming insolvent is not having a job. Right. Uh, the biggest risk to Canadians not being able to repay their mortgage is not having a job. Yeah, Pierre Polyev was right. Tiff Macklem was wrong, but he won't pay a price for it. No one in Trudeau's government is competent, not the people running the airports, not the people running the passport office, not the people managing the money, not the people engaging in foreign affairs. The only thing they're good at is jetting off to foreign destinations to give away your tax dollars and foreign aid to corrupt regimes and calling you racist and sexist if you don't obey them. Let's see how it looks when, as Pierre Pauly have asked, what happens to Canadians when their mortgages go up by 1% or 2%? What happens? Macklem didn't say two years ago. Maybe he'll have to answer us now, or maybe we'll just find out. Stay with us for more. I'm Joe Manchin. I approve this act because I'll always defend West Virginia. As your senator, I'll protect our Second Amendment rights. That's why the NRA endorsed me. I'll take on Washington and this administration to get the federal government off of our backs and out of our pockets. I'll cut federal spending and I'll repeal the bad parts of Obamacare. I sued EPA and I'll take dead aim at the cap and trade bill because it's bad for West Virginia. Well, that man is Senator Joe Manchin. He was running for the U.S. Senate then as a Democrat. Imagine that. You're using a gun to shoot at a climate piece of climate legislation, and you're a Democrat. Well, of course, because that's West Virginia. It's a very conservative state, one of the Trumpiest states, as it turned out. It's also a state with a lot of fossil fuels, including coal. If you want to be a Manhattan liberal, help yourself, but you're not going to get elected in West Virginia. Joe Manchin did. And he really is a Democrat, but he doesn't go crazy on things like climate because he knows, unlike, say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that energy doesn't come just from a plug in the wall. It comes from coal or oil or nuclear power and in very rare cases, solar or wind. So that grown-up, Joe Manchin, the grown-up, has been putting a pair of skeptical eyes on Joe Biden's Build Back Better insanity, including his massive plans for global warming expenditures. And yesterday he decided he wasn't having any of it. And joining us now to talk about Joe Manchin and what he did to, build, to Joe Biden's climate plans is our friend Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com and a man who himself used to work on Capitol Hill. Mark, great to see you again. I like... Joe Manchin, I think he's a better conservative than many Republicans are. Tell, tell our viewers what he did exactly, because it's a, it's a tied Senate, right? It's 50-50. Yeah. And so one Democrat is all it takes to unravel the president's plans. What did Joe Manchin do? Well, Joe Manchin has, first of all, just been stringing along the Biden administration 
for the last year and a half when it comes to the signature legislation, the Build Back Better plan of Joe Biden and this, you know, the climate uh, splurge plan. It's $2 trillion. And according to the New York Times today, Ezra, he has pulled the plug. He's not going to support it. The Biden administration was throwing everything at Manchin. They were offering all sorts of legislative things, all sorts of fossil fuel subsidies, uh, favors, anything they could do. But he just didn't have it. He knew whatever he agreed to was not going to be in the interest of, as you said, one of the most Trumpian states in the union, West Virginia. And so he pulled the plug on this. Now, what's funny about this is the New York Times quotes a professor from the University of California, Santa Barbara, who said she literally sobbed when she heard the news. And she declared Senator Manchin is condemning the children of America through because of the climate catastrophe. Now, here's how crazy having one Democrat off the reservation makes climate activists. Bill McKibben, uh, the climate activist, good friend of, of Al Gore, last October warned that, Joe, that Senator Joe Manchin was going to alter the Earth's geologic record wow. by not supporting President Biden and his climate plan. Wow. And that's not all. The Rolling Stone magazine said, uh, said Senator Manchin just, quote, cooked the planet. That was their actual wow. headline. They actually believe he's endowed with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Uh, he's wearing a cape. This is how powerful, and this just goes to tell you, this is why they want 100% consensus. This is why they allow no dissent, because they know one dissenter brings down their house of cards. It does uh, mathematically in a 50-50 Senate, but it also does in terms of conformity. And we talk a lot on this yeah. show about the ASH conformity test, which was an experiment done um, about 50 years ago. And it showed that as long as there's one other skeptic in the room, one other dissenter, that gives courage to other people to say, yeah, I don't like to go along with this. It's only when there's unanimity do people say, well, I better not speak out. Maybe everyone's right. I don't want to make waves. So Joe Manchin gives courage to other Democrats who might be more moderate, might be less radical, might be from a state that it's not in that state's interest to shut down fossil fuels. He really is a grown-up, and the the emotional reaction to him by these professors and activists, I, I think it proves his point. And thinking he has these supernatural powers to, you know, change the Earth's orbit or whatever, I think just proves how unscientific and kooky they were. But it's not just radical activists and professors. Mark, I want to show you some tweets that his fellow senators said, I want to start uh, one from Sheldon Whitehouse. That's the name of a senator. It's sort of funny that he's named Whitehouse. Um, he says, he's from Rhode Island. He says, with legislative climate options now closed, it's now time for executive beast mode. <laughs> that's, a, that's pretty butch. Um, I don't even really know what that means, but he, he, that's, he's clearly talking about Joe Biden wrecking any chance to pass a bill, right? Yes, an executive beast mode was, if you were go back, when President Obama, the Democrat, was our president, he failed spectacularly getting yeah. a climate bill through Congress. And they had a supermajority in the House and the Senate. Yeah. They barely got it through the House. And it took yeah. multiple votes and they had to bribe members. And then yeah. it gets to the Senate. It doesn't even get submitted for a vote because mm. Democrats, led by Al Franken of Minnesota, the liberals' favorite liberal, refused to support it. Yeah. So what Obama did was the Chinification. He went into full executive beast mode. We had all the executive orders, the EPA endangerment finding, regulating carbon dioxide as a pollutant. And this is what they did through the administrative state. Now, Trump came in, erased it. Biden comes back, 
and they go on steroids, everything Obama did. So I don't know what White House, Senator White House is talking about because Biden has been on executive beast huh. mode with ESG, with the, the Treasury Department defunding fossil fuel projects, with every agency, a cabinet right, agency, right. with his executive orders. Yeah. And by the way, when you have the lowest popularity, really in memory, for a president who's clearly losing his cognitive abilities, who is presiding over inflation and disasters in foreign policy, uh, executive beast mode, I don't, I don't think it's helping the Democrats in the lead up to the midterms. I want to show one other uh, set of tweets. This is by another colleague of Joe Manchin. Martin Heinrich says, we have an opportunity to address the climate crisis right now. Senator Manchin's refusal to act is infuriating. It makes me question why he's chair of the ENR, I think that stands for Energy and Natural Resources Committee. And this is the moment to meet the challenges that we will be judged by, by our children, grandchildren, and future generations. We can't wait any longer. So that first tweet about why does Joe Manchin get to chair the Energy Committee? Well, I, I have an answer to that because he uh, is from an energy state. How's that for an answer? I mean, you, you wouldn't put, you know, someone from San Francisco in charge of energy. You might put them in charge of tech, for example. Um, but it's almost like they're talking about punishing him. We've seen that sort of like if the bribes don't work, maybe they're going to the threats. But that Joe Manchin, I don't think he's easily wobbled because whatever he hears in Washington, he just goes back to West Virginia. and He says, nope, I'm pretty sure I'm taking the pulse of my state. I don't know. I, I'm a fan, as you can tell, Mark. But are the, de the Democrats would never punish him, would they? Well, first of all, they've sent out the actors. I have there's a video clip of him walking through a park with literally activists chanting at him about his votes. And they're like, they're like intimidating him and he is standing strong. I don't think he'll be intimidated. I actually testified in West Virginia about the Common Core uh, education standards. They wanted to basically have the national standard imposed upon West Virginia that said there is no scientific debate on climate. We went with names of scientists and I testified. And guess who was on that school board when I testified at the capital of West Virginia was Joe Manchin's wife. And Ooh. very reasonable, they ended up going along and they rejected these common core standards in West Virginia. So they've been at this battle and they've been they've been they've been tried to be bribed, they've tried to be intimidated, but Manchin's still standing strong on this. He really has no choice. If he I mean he is have courage, but if he weakens Ezra, he's gone. I mean, yeah, yeah. this state is not gonna put up with someone who would cave to Senator Whitehouse or uh, you know, Chuck Schumer on climate. Well, you know the song Almost Heaven. West Virginia. Yeah. It's uh, called Country Roads. It really is a great song. And West Virginia really is a beautiful place. It sounds like you've had the pleasure of being there. I, as a Canadian, enjoyed it too. It's fascinating to watch. And I must say, for all the rancor and the back and forth, I am jealous that the United States has a system where elected officials can use their own judgment and listen to their constituents and defy the party line. During the lockdowns in Canada, anyone of any party who dared dissent was thrown out of the party, including so-called conservative parties. I, I admire the American system that, at least in the Senate, allows some real dissent and real debate and allows people to represent their constituents in a way that we are not allowed to do in Canada, and I think we are poorer for it. Last word to you, Mark. Well, I do, but they're trying their best to ruin the system you just correctly lauded here in the United States. Because ultimately, this $2 trillion climate spending bill that Manchin's not going to support, which would have no impact on global emissions, let alone climate, let alone the Earth's geologic record, 
and, and I don't know why it's causing professors to cry other than they're mentally ill part of a cult. But the key here is, oh, Biden already is, is going about this through the unelected bureaucracy following right. that sort of Chinese right. one-party right. rule. Right. But as best we can, we have to preserve this system where you can dissent and make a difference. Okay. Well, Mark, you're the guy to talk to about this stuff. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate it. All right. There you have it. Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. It really is a great aggregator for any news. If you're interested in global warming and carbon taxes and the UN and the globalist attempt to, to push these things through, you really should pop by ClimateDepot.com. They, they have all the info. I've been going there for more than a decade. All right. Stay with us. Uh, more ahead. I was thinking more about the monologue today about Tiff Macklem and, and just that name. That's his nickname, obviously. No mother would saddle a child with the name Tiff. It's like that old Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. Um, Tiff uh, made a lot of mistakes. Um, I think really one important mistake, which is he let Trudeau spend like a maniac. He just printed the money to make that happen. That drove inflation. And now Tiff is punishing ordinary Canadians and telling them they'll have to suck it up. But what was so interesting about that whole thing is how the entire establishment class ran to Tiff's defense a few months ago when Pierre Polyev started criticizing him. Pierre Polyev was right. Not only did Tiff Macklem admit that in the time, but we see the disaster he's just rolled out for Canadian families this week. The fact that the entire establishment stood by the Bank of Canada, about which they knew little, just because they didn't like the grassroots populist conservative Pierre Polyev tells you everything you need to know about every establishment person in this country, whether it's in the media or politics. Their instinct to circle the wagon, they don't know Tiff Macklem. They're not in the same yacht club as him. They just know he's one of them. He's an insider. He's making how many hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to look really smart, but really he's clueless, like Theresa Tam, who's making close to half a million dollars a year now. You're in on the in-team. You defend others on the in-team against an outsider. It's a simple rule. Polyev uses the phrase gatekeepers. That's not a bad that's not a bad phrase, but it really is the insiders versus the outsiders. And um, I think the insiders are going to love the next couple of years, but for millions of Canadians, I think it's going to be a disaster. We'll see. I don't mean to be so pessimistic, but... A lot of people will not be able to afford a 1% jump in their mortgage. I think we are in for difficult days. That's our show for today. Until next week, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. Drea Humphrey here with Rebel News. And if you followed my reports on Rebel News, you know I've updated you many times on the never-ending saga that is Jessica Simpson formerly Jonathan Yaniv. You might know this person by many different names and ways. You might even know this person as the wax my balls guy, because when immigrant women were trying to be beauticians to help support their family, Yaniv had a tendency of suing them when they were surprised by Yaniv's male genitalia and were not comfortable proceeding with waxing them. You might also 
see Yaniv or Simpson as a familiar face here as the individual whacking my colleague David Menzies with a cane and then also assaulting my former colleague Kian Bexty now with the counter signal while he was reporting for Rebel News about a weapons charge that Yaniv was facing right out front of the courthouse. Take a look. Are you pleading guilty? What? No, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Stop! Go away from me. Go away. My last report about Yaniv Simpson updated you that yes, Yaniv actually was found guilty for assaulting Kian Bexty, but for the second time in a row received a conditional discharge that would allow Yaniv to continue on with life as though. Yaniv wasn't really a criminal, but that time has come and gone due to an incident where Yaniv uttered threats at activist billboard Chris Elston. Now, you can catch up on this saga in its entirety so far by going to yanivtrial.com. That's also where you can donate to support our many legal fees or costs to continue to report on this individual, because not only are we actually supporting the lawsuits for both Kian as well as Dave Menzies for the attacks that you saw here, but Yaniv, who is a serial litigator, also brought on a lawsuit against us at Rebel News, which we incurred costs to defend ourselves from, and for which I have an important update coming up next about very soon. All right, here we have it. I'm out in the Mary Times doing reporting here. I wasn't able to be here to see a moment in history where Yaniv actually received a criminal record for something. Joining me is Carrie Simpson from the Canadian Voters Association and the victim in this situation. Sorry to call you that. And that is Billboard Chris Elston. Thanks for being on Rebel News. Always nice to be with Rebel News, Drea. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much, Drea. Pleasure to be here. Now, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Uh, tell us the first half of how court went. Well, Jessica Yaniv's lawyer was pushing hard for yet another conditional discharge, which would mean no criminal record for Mr. Yaniv. And Jessica Yaniv's lawyer at one point was lying to the court about me. And so I spoke up out of turn and I was chastised by the Crown Prosecutor. And then later Yaniv was lying as well. So... I wasn't just going to sit there while the Crown Prosecutor did nothing, so I spoke up again, and they almost threatened to kick me out of the court. But I think it all worked out in the end because we got what we wanted, which was a suspended sentence for Yaniv. I would have preferred jail time, but at least this means he now has a criminal record. Carrie, I'm going to jump to you on this because you've been like a legal advocate. You've been working closely with Chris during all this. So the, they were pushing again for a third conditional discharge. Uh, what do you think of that? So I think that we're making progress. And, and what people don't understand is the length of, of criminal uh, conduct that this individual has engaged in. And there's still new cases coming. He's, again, been recently charged now with criminal defamation. So there'll be still yet another criminal court proceeding. But when you look at what's happened here, the fact that there would even be discussion around a conditional discharge is mind-boggling to me. And fortunately, fortunately, we had a very good judge who could sort of see through the, the, the trans card plays that were being made there, you know, the victim syndrome, oh, poor me, 
I mean, Yenev always comes up with this these sad stories. Um, this judge wasn't buying it. And uh, he, you know, applied the law. He, he recognized that the legal test for conditional discharge is it not only has to be in the interest of the perpetrator, Yenev in this case, but it also has to be in the public interest. And in his findings, Judge uh, Brecknell said, well, you know, a conditional discharge may be in Yaniv's interest. It's certainly not in the public interest. And what was interesting about this case, so he got the, the suspended sentence. Now, you know, we're all a little bit nervous about when the day comes when a jail sentence is actually imposed, because on that day, we're going to have to deal with the issue of, of which jail do we put Yaniv in, a, a man's prison or a f women's prison. And we know that he has a history of abuse to women and uh, sexual issues that uh, probably are not conducive to a safe environment for other female inmates if he does get put in a women's prison. But the judge also spent quite a bit of time, and, and I appreciated this, and, and I think Chris did as well, was on the issues of free speech. And I, and I know this is near and dear to Chris's heart, because this is what he does as Billboard Chris. So I'm going to let him talk about what, what the judge said. It, it was really significant. Yeah, I think particularly considering what Canada has been through this past two years with our charter rights being infringed upon, it was very encouraging to see the judge specifically cite the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and he specifically mentioned uh, two clauses from our fundamental freedoms, which are everyone has the following fundamental freedoms, freedom of conscience and religion, and freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression. And he said that it doesn't matter if my speech is offensive to some, I still have every right to say it. And there were various ways that Jessica Yaniv could have expressed his disagreements to me, which didn't involve threatening to shoot me. So he felt it was in the public interest, given that Yaniv had already had conditional discharges, which as part of those, Yaniv was under a condition to be of good behavior. Mm -hmm. And while he was under these previous conditional discharges, he was not of good behavior. He had assaulted Kian Bexty, and then he threatened me. So the judge saw right through their nonsense that they were trying to so the the other important aspect I think of this is that this judge was very, very, very clear on relating his, his statements about the right of Chris to, to engage in his form of expression uh, in consideration of what is transpiring, not only in Canada, but in the U.S. right now, which tells me that there's a heightened awareness right now within the judiciary that something needs to be done. Uh, council culture, shutting one group out just because you don't like what they, they had to say. Um, you know, you could read between the lines. This judge is very concerned where we are going as a nation, as a country. So while we all look at this case as pivotal in, in the Yaniv um, ongoing saga, which isn't, no, doesn't look like it's going to be shutting down anytime soon, um, but for this judge to take advantage of this um, opportunity to make these statements was was very significant. So I, I think just kudos to Chris again for not only um, engaging in a civil right, you know, a constitutional right we have here in Canada, but fighting to protect that and presenting his case in a way, <clears throat> thank God for technology and the video cameras and all the rest of it, because 
Uh, this equipped the court to come down with a very, very good decision for not only British Columbia, but Canadians at large. Well, I'm sorry I missed it. Sound like a courtroom not affected by wokeism. I'm glad you guys were there and glad you're on Rebel News to tell us what happened. I'm sure I will see you very soon, both of you. Thanks for being on Rebel News. Thanks, Drea. Thanks so much, Drea.